Hello, and welcome to a salvaged episode of BZ Listening. I'm your host, BZ Douglas. Uh, when I say salvaged, I'm talking about the fact that I royally screwed up my first attempt to use Open Broadcast Studio and Skype to live stream a panel discussion about the Cuyahoga County ballot. Uh, let's just say some lessons were learned. Uh, there were some unbearable echoes that started as soon as the guests began talking, which I wasn't aware of until some friendly viewers messaged me. Once I fixed that, the video dropped to about two frames per second, and the guests would just randomly resize at times. I've replaced most of the footage with stills that display who's talking and the current office we're discussing, and thankfully, about... 90% of the audio is fine. As for the 10% of our discussion that was lost, I've done my best to transcribe and re-record it. So, when you hear the chimes the first time, that's where I start reading my transcript. And when you hear them again, we're going back to the original audio. I'm sure uh, it was very distracting for the audience, uh, but also for me as the host slash live producer. This is something I hope to alleviate in the future by bringing on someone to help out with the, the live studio production so I can just stay focused on the discussion. Um, in order to do that, I either need one of you lovely people to uh, volunteer to intern or uh, some more supporters on Patreon so that I can I can pay them. Yes. That would be nice. Anyway, with that technical caveat out of the way, um, it's still a great episode. And I want to take a moment to thank my panelists one more time, Mariah Crenshaw, Kareem Henton, and Keith Wilson. You can find links to their organizations in the description. And I have deeper dive interviews with each of them on previous episodes. So with that technical caveat, out of the way, I wanted to take a moment again to thank my panelists, Mariah Crenshaw, Kareem Henton, and Keith Wilson. You can find links to their organizations in the description, and I have deeper dive interviews with each of them on previous episodes of BZ Listening. The number one lesson that I've learned this year is that leftists and progressives who are disappointed by Bernie's defeat need to heed his own words. The truth is that real change always takes place. Real change always takes place from the bottom on up, never from the top on down. These local and, and state offices are where progressives and leftists have much more power to change the landscape of this country. If you are someone who is tired of the two-party system, this is really the only level in the game where you have any shot of getting a third party vote to count, at least until we get instant runoff voting and in, in, in local and state and count. I'm going to cut myself off there before I just get into a real rant. If you haven't voted yet, I hope you find this uh, episode helpful to have a clear understanding of all the down-ballot races in Cuyahoga County that don't get talked about when the presidential race is sucking up all the oxygen in the room. We do get around to discussing the presidency in the closing 10 minutes, 
spoiler alert, none of us are voting for Trump. Um, instead, we pondered what are the most effective ways that we can push the Democratic Party to be better than it seems to want to be. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Apologies again for the screw-ups. I've learned from my mistakes, as should we all. And now, on with the show. This basically all came about, uh, I'm going to credit my mom and Keith with this idea. Um, my mom reached out to me and she, uh, she was just like, hey, who are you uh, voting for in all these down ballot races? And I had not yet done all of my due diligence to research everybody in it. And uh, I quickly referenced Keith, put out a really awesome annotated list of what his ballot was going to be. And I really appreciated that. And then uh, it just got me thinking it might be nice to just sort of open source a conversation about all these down ballot races. And we're going to work our way up the ticket. So the last thing we'll talk about is the thing that everybody only talks about, which is Biden and Trump. But I'm pretty sure ever, a lot of things have been said about that. <laughs> I'll be surprised if we get to that one and, and, and one of y'all say like, oh, I'm Trump all the way. That's going to really throw me for a loop. So <laughs> here uh, on the, joining us on the panel, we have Mariah Crenshaw of Chasing Justice LLC. Mariah has been an activist and an advocate for a long time here in Cleveland. She is my most recent guest on the podcast and uh, is chasing down some pretty incredible justice of her own with regard to police officers who are functioning, uh, who are acting while not police officers, technically in cease function due to uh, failures of training compliance with Ohio law. Kareem Henton, the co-founder of Black Lives Matter Cleveland, and Keith Wilson, uh, the, he, uh, who I originally interviewed with the People's Archive of Police Violence and is also a member of the Cuyahoga County Progressive Caucus and works with the Coalition to Stop the Inhumanity at the uh, Cuyahoga County Jail. Those things could not all fit on his caption, so that's why he is just listed as the Cuyahoga County uh, Cuyahoga County Pro, uh, Progressive Caucus. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and kick things off here. Um, and uh, we're going to, like I said, move kind of from the, the lower end of the ballot uh, all the way up to the top and just kind of talk about who our choices are, who we're voting for, and how we feel about it on each one. So our first race is the judge of the Court of Common Pleas, Domestic Relations Division, and our candidates are Colleen Ann Rialli and James Cochran. Uh, Mariah, do you want to kick off this one? I'm in court a lot, and I'm able to observe a lot of things. As far as Colleen is concerned, one time, and I'm sure it happened more than once, she was supposed to start at 9 a.m. as a magistrate. The hallway filled up with about 35 people. She didn't arrive until between 10, 10.30. No one knew where she was. When she came in, she took a couple that had been there since 8.45 for their hearing. Neither of them were represented by an attorney. They were there over a child visitation issue. They were in court for two minutes. After waiting more than 90 and were told they needed to come back and get an attorney, which they couldn't afford, this is not a judge's place to recommend. The case was eventually sent to a mediator, which is something the magistrate could have done on that first day. 
from what I saw that day, not being on time, not being fair, it makes me think twice about whether or not she's ready to be a fair and impartial judge to be responsible for an entire court docket. Keith Wilson's answer. Unlike Mariah and Kareem, I don't have a lot of direct personal experience with these judges. My approach was to contact people that I know have a deep sense of justice and some strategic ideas and knowledge of the ballot. Judges operate in a system that I think is fundamentally unjust from start to finish. From the moment that a person is arrested, to the ways that the laws are made, to the politicians, to the very way the Constitution was instituted, it's all based on power and oppression. So to me, the ballot is just an exercise in harm reduction. So that's why I'm interested in just getting the best people, because within that system you can ring out some, I wouldn't call it justice, but accountability but not without the right people in there. So about this particular race, nobody I crowdsourced was particularly excited about Colleen Reale, but no one said I should vote for Cochran. Kareem Hinton. With me, it always goes back to strategic thinking and the desire to amplify the voices and empower those who are disenfranchised, black and brown people for the most part. I have had a couple of conversations with Colleen Reale, which isn't a lot. The thing is, I've seen her a lot in spaces where black and brown people were. And you can call that campaigning, but I will say it's better than being ignored. I've seen quite a bit of ignoring this election cycle. So just her accessibility alone and knowing that she will likely continue to be accessible by different groups and people of color is good enough for me. She'll have a foothold with them about what's really going on and won't be disconnected like some of the judges that currently hold seats in the Common Pleas Court. So I'm going to go ahead and switch us over here to our next race, which is the Common Pleas General Division. We have Wanda C. Jones versus Richard uh, Bell. Uh, Kareem, do you want to kick this one off? Oh, wow. Yeah, I will get kicked off with this one. So <laughs> I I, so I find myself um, in a u- unique position with regards to this, um, you know, and that is this is that I actually have a favorable opinion of both. While uh, one is not necessarily um, because of, you know, them being a Republican, that be, you know, Judge Wanda uh, Jones. Um, there are there are a lot of folks that, you know, pretty much might want to go against her just because she has an R against her name. And I actually um, am quite fond of the disposition, her disposition in court, uh, her patience, the respect that she shows. You know, j- just you know, being in the courtroom with her. Um, with regards uh, to Rick Bell, who some folks are opposed to him as well, it's it's that that race is a crazy race. But uh, you know, likewise with him, where you know he does have you know um, a gentle uh, disposition, a respectful demeanor, and uh, you know just and with both of them, very very um, accessible. You know what I mean? Because it goes back to that once again for me, 
you know, when we're talking, we don't need any disconnected judges um, that are going to be up on that bench that are not going to be accessible. So, and, you know, and, I, and you're going to hear me say that a lot. That's super duper important to be um, because, you know, these judges that are up there um, that have, you know, for quite some time been pretty much throwing the book at black and brown people. And, you know, when we start talking about the criminal justice system being unjust, you know, we see them start to move a little bit differently, perhaps when the spotlight is on them or perhaps when COVID comes in, but then they go right back to being, you know, some of the tyrants that they are. That's something, you know, those are folks that I believe are not accessible by the disenfranchised folks. So they're not necessarily grounded in our reality. And, uh, you know, because it's sort of like someone, those folks out there that may have an issue with uh, people of color or a person or people who are in the LGBTQ community, you know, they're like that until someone in their family is one. And then they start to change. So it's like, if you really care about these, these people or this person that you, um, that, that you interact with, you know, that you have this type of uh, relationship with, um, if you really care about them and think fondly of them and respect them, then you'll start to care about their issues. And so that's why it's important to me to have access to these people. That's why, you know, I'm always bringing that up. So, you know, and both of them are accessible. I'm aware of things that both of them are doing. And that's perhaps not the, the uh, answer that everybody wants. But I will say this about this race, that it angers me. And that's what angers me about it is that you have um, a, an incumbent that's decent. And then you have, in my opinion, a candidate, a person that's running against her who's also decent. I wish that the um, candidate would run against one of these incumbents that isn't worth a squat. And we got a few of them on. And with that, I'll close. Mariah? Okay, well, um, I love Wanda Jones. She's a very good person. I've interviewed her. Um, I've talked to her post-interview, and um, I think that she's very empathetic to people coming to her courtroom. Um, I have nothing but good things to say about Wanda, and I, I would hate for her not to be on that bench. Um, as far as Rick Dale is concerned, um, like you said, I go back way, 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 way here in politics in Cleveland and um, you know Rick Bell has uh, he's continued through the prosecutor's office um, the same practices of uh, the previous uh, Cuyahoga County prosecutor of Bill Mason um, I think O'Malley is continuing those same practices I don't see a whole lot of change um, where you see people of color who are really being uh, funneled through that system um, in my opinion, I don't want to see anybody that comes out of the Cahoe County Prosecutor's Office sitting on our benches because I don't see anyone there being progressive enough to make those internal changes that we need made in the judicial system. So definitely be Wanda. Um, 
you know, we've heard the stories about Rick Bell. We've heard all the um, issues concerning Rick and, and, and the cases he's been involved with. Um, my biggest problem with Cuyahoga County uh, Prosecutor's Office is that we want our prosecutors to prosecute people who are criminals, but we don't want to we don't want them to create criminals to prosecute. And so we're seeing a lot of that happening um, with, uh, you know, two cases just this week. Um, people were found not guilty. And so um, it, it bothers me because even those two cases, if they weren't the guilty ones, um, how are they going to find justice for those victims if they chose the wrong people to prosecute? And that's a huge, huge issue. So um, Rick Bell plays a part in that prosecutor's office. He, he, he's part of that old, um, good old boy network regime. And so... I, I don't want to see anybody come out of the Cahill County Prosecutor's Office sitting on our benches. I, I'm just not comfortable with that. So it's a no for me with Rick, and it's definitely um, two thumbs up for Wanda. Um, the impression I got talking from talking to all the activists and some lawyers um, is that Rick Bell would be very competent. Like he, you know, if there's a analogy to an umpire he, he's going to be good at calling the balls and strikes um you know i don't like the the sport itself you know i think the sport itself is unjust so i'm not particularly impressed by that i'm more impressed by when people tell me things about wanda jones like she's very empathetic that's more what i'm looking for um you know i don't mind if she lets um uh if she gets a ball or strike wrong if it if it's in the direction of justice and not necessarily the law as written. So I don't know um, if that's the case with Wanda or not. I think she'd probably be competent too, but people had good things to say about Rick on that end. Um, I have a larger concern about uh, Rick Bell's association with Bill Mason, which Mariah brought up. And um, that's, you know, Cuyahoga this judicial race is a one-party county, and and so the Republicans essentially fund. They don't have a Republican party to f um, politicians to fund, so they fund the Democrats. And so what ends up happening is that the Democratic Party supports their most conservative candidates in the primaries, um, and the people who, who decide that tend to be the allies of Bill Mason and with a few other power players. But Bill Mason is the name that always keeps coming back up. And everybody seems to agree that as somebody in the prosecutor's office with Bill Mason, um, Rick Bell is one of the like close allies of, of this guy who's become like a boogeyman for progressives. Um, so Bill Mason is kind of coming back into his power in the county after the um, debacle from uh, 10 years ago. Um, and so I'm very, I'm very concerned about that. Um, so even if it, even if it weren't for that, I would still be voting for Wanda Jones, but I think it's, it's worth pointing out that, um, this is another, Rick Bell is another acolyte of that machine. Um, and, and I, so I'd be inclined to vote against them either way. Um, and as, as Mariah said, there's some concerns about some of the cases in Rick Bell's past. They seem complicated. I, I know some people say that those are overblown or, or mis, misrepresented. 
Um, so I don't want to get into that. That's just, just some of the information that I gathered in my interviews. Uh, so I'd be voting for Wanda Jones there. Great. Um, so we're going to keep up. Oh, one thing I want to say. Oh, yeah. That. Can I? I'm sorry. It's just, I think it's interesting that we're voting, I'm voting for some Republicans because on the, the national level, they've taken this fascist. And I, I, it does make me wonder why are some of these good judges calling themselves Republicans? Like, why are they running on the Republican line? That's an answer. That's a question I haven't gotten an answer to, but um, something maybe we should discuss later. I've got an answer here if you want to hear it, why it's like that locally. Sure. Locally, you have to understand, you know, it's like there's one party that is in control here that has that. Or if you want to run, you have to play ball their way. Then, you know, you get pushed out. You get pushed to the side. You don't get to run. And so what some folks have done is they've gone to the party that has been willing to support them. And all, and then lastly, they've looked at a lot of what has happened and what is happening here in the county. And it's happened under the watch of, you know, a, a strong Democratic Party. And they just say, hey, I don't want to be a part of that. They're making it. In other words, you know, unfortunately, the party is making it easy for folks here locally to go that direction. But never forget. And our politics is local, bro. You know what I mean? And so you, we just need to be concerned with getting good people here locally. And I think, you know what I'm saying? And it can quite possibly insulate us from what's going on nationally to a large degree. Let me chime in on that, too. Um, so, Keith, I've talked to several of the... Um, people who are, you know, Republicans, and I've asked them, like, why are you still part of this party? And so, interestingly, um, they are suffering from the same issues that we are suffering from when it comes to their party, um, that there are choices being made for them that they don't approve of, they don't support, um, they don't agree with it, and they're, they feel kind of trapped, you know, they've been Republicans their whole lives, or you know, they, they, they believe in a certain system that really doesn't exist anymore when it comes to the Republican Party. So they're kind of trapped where they are. And so some of them are saying pretty much the same thing we are, um, is that there are layers in each of the parties. <laughs> okay. And so, um, you know, you and I and, and, and a lot of those Republicans that we're in reference to, they're at the lower layer of the party where there's not a whole lot of power or significance for them. Um, and so they try to do what they're supposed to do. They try to follow the law. They try to do the right things. And so that's why it's always important for us to get to know who these candidates are, irregardless to um, what party they're affiliated with, because not all Republicans believe with this, um, with this whole Republican, um, you know, debacle that's been going on the last three and a half years. And they're kind of just biting their tongue, waiting to get out of it. Like, this is going to pass, you know. And when it does, the party's going to heal itself. The party's going to be um, better. And so, you know, that's their hope. And But, you know, will it happen? I don't know. I think we'll just have to wait and see. But, 
a lot of those people, Keith, they're just they're stuck like we are. You know, they're just stuck in a certain position in the party and it's, it's nowhere to go. So we're going to move on to our next race, uh, the Judge of Common Pleas, General Division. And this one is Andrew Santoli versus Robert McClellan. And uh, Mariah, you want to start this one off? Um, sure. Um, um, I've been in, in Judge McClellan's courtroom as a, um, as a plaintiff and uh, pro se litigant. And anyone who knows me knows I'm real. I, I judge judges on how they treat pro se litigants um, in civil cases. So um, I think that you could tell a great deal about a judge and how they handle pro se litigants in terms of how they would also be handling the criminal um, cases because there's a certain mentality in those courtrooms that first of all, that those are their courtrooms, <laughs> you know, they, they become detached as to those courtrooms actually still belonging to the people. Um, and so you'll see a lot of, of that in um, civil cases when people are, like I said, pro se come in, they can't afford an attorney um, and they're there to seek some type of justice. So you're looking for someone who's going to be fair. You're looking for someone who's going to, not be prejudicial and discriminatory in the practice. Um, my experience with Judge McClellan was he was very discriminatory uh, in the case with me. Um, he actually dismissed the case on the worst kind of technicality somebody could dismiss a case on. Um, it, the issue was he said, I captioned the case incorrectly. And so the case had been on his docket for seven months. And he kicked my case out just because of that. And so basically because he did not want to deal with the case, I was pro se. Pro se means you're self-representing. And so um, you'll find a lot of stuff when you go into these courts, especially with judges, where um, if there's like a pretrial hearing or something on a civil case, when you go to sign in, like on the sign-in sheet, they'll have the attorney's name. It'll say the attorney for the defendant or attorney for the plaintiff his name will be on there um, and then he's supposed to sign next to it. But your name as a pro se litigant is not on the paper. It just says pro se. And so that's how disrespectful the court can be when it comes to people who are self-representing. And so um, I, I, I've talked to Judge McClellan way after. I did not talk to him about how he handled my case and he was very nice. He was very cordial. Um, I did not share with him that I was a person that he he blew my case after seven months on a a, a caption uh, technicality, and um, and so that was that was an issue for me because I'm I'm real funny about judges who don't treat self-representing pro se individuals correctly. Um, I've interviewed Andrew Santoli. Andrew Santoli also came out of the prosecutor's office. Um, I have a different feeling about Andrew. Um, at least I did when I interviewed him. So if you guys get a chance, you can go to my page and kind of just type in Andrew's name and you, you can see the interview. But I liked Andy. Yeah, I thought Andy was, um, I thought he was very down to earth. I thought he was a real nice guy. Um, is he capable? Is he ready to be sitting on a bench? I'm not confident he is. But um, just because of my personal experience in Judge McClellan's court, he cannot have my vote. So um, I would give that vote to Andy. So he would kind of get it on default. Uh, Keith? Uh, yeah, this was uh, another 
interesting race. Um, I meant to mention before that in, in addition to the interviews that I did, I took into account the endorsements of some groups uh, and also um, some of the people involved in the, the jail coalition um, put together a voting guide. It doesn't have recommendations, but it has useful information there. Um, this was one race. This was the only race where um, I think it was the only race where I went against the unified endorsement process, um, which is a um, combination of the, the GPAC endorsements, FinPAC, which is the formerly incarcerated, um, uh, I forget how it, I forget what exactly it is. And then the, um, Cleveland and NAACP. So, uh, the GPAC actually endorsed McClellan and, but the unified endorsed, um, endorsed Santoli. Um, the rave reviews for McClelland among the lawyers I talked to were kind of over the top. Like people just loved this guy. Um, I was, so it's kind of surprising to me to hear this story about how he treated Mariah. Um, but between um, those rave reviews from the lawyers, um, some good reviews from, from activists, um, and I have some skepticism. I, I like everybody seems to like Santoli, but I have some skepticism. Again, I'm not a big fan of the prosecutor's office. Um, he's he's very uh, gung ho about going for, um, and he seems to have a strategy of kind of uh, I don't want to say how, how do I put this. He's trying to he he. His strategy is to ingratiate himself with the party and um, with sort of the the people who I view as the obstacles to getting progressive policies through. So um, another reason why I'm inclined not to not to vote for him. So between that and the fact that people seem to really like McClellan, I'm going to be voting for McClellan. So that's the second Republican that I'd be voting for. This 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 is one of those races again where, you know, you got somebody that's decent that's running against somebody who's not a bad incumbent. And so, you know, it's just a heck of a position to be put in. What I can say, for example, about the incumbent uh, McClellan is that, you know, in observing him in the court of been one that has, uh, he's been great for the mental health docket of which he is uh, over. And um, he's exercised a tremendous amount of uh, of patience, um, and, and you know, with uh, defendants, and you know, it's uh, and I remember um, just injecting some things in the conversation with him in the uh, in the recent past, and just how knowledgeable he was, and he knew exactly what I what I was talking about. And so, you know, like he's he's up on his stuff and, you know, which really makes me like him. And then, you know, with regards to Santoli, I can't go off of anything he's done judicially. What I can go off of is just the fact that, you know, what has been alluded to here, you know, that, you know, he I, I, I would see him everywhere. You know what I mean? I would see him, you know, in all kinds of spaces. 
And that goes to the part of what I've been talking about regarding accessible. While I'm not going to say that Judge McClellan is inaccessible, I take comfort in knowing that that knowledgeable man doesn't necessarily always have to have has to have the um, proximity to certain folks because he knows that shit already. Excuse my language. But he knows this stuff already. So with that, you know, but with uh, Santoli, Santoli seems um, pretty grounded, you know, and he's knows folks in a lot of different places. And, you know, when you and, and when having conversations with him, it reflects those relationships that he has. So, you know, in that I take, you know, a bit of comfort. And as I said before, with one of the previous races, you know, I just I regret to see him running against, you know, someone like the incumbent. I wish he would run against another incumbent that, you know, we need to get out of here, especially if it's one that's been labeled one of the four horsemen. And I'll leave it at that. So the next one moving moving along here is uh, William Vaudry versus Kenneth R. Callahan. And uh, Keith, you want to kick this one off? Um, this one I didn't have many conversations about because everybody just said Vaudry's great. And so I think he's actually a member of, of the Progressive Caucus. Um, and so I didn't bother asking people anymore about it. Put it to you, Mariah. Yeah, Vaudre is great. Um, I've interviewed him. I've talked to him. Um, I think he is excellent um, in, in, in terms of uh, being the kind of person we want to see on those benches. He definitely, definitely is someone um, I think that would bring um, the the justice that we, we, we like to see happen in our courtrooms. I think he's a really good candidate. Vaudre is great. All right. <laughs> so that's... Next. That one was easy. All right. <laughs> Next is uh, the judge for the Court of Appeals, eighth, eighth District, Ray Heaton versus Lisa Forbes. You wanna? You wanna? Who wants to lead us off here? I'll open right. it. Um, Lisa, I've talked to Lisa. She's a really nice person. I think she's got a great personality. Um, I think she's sincere about you know what she wants to do. Um, I've also talked to Ray. Uh, Ray Heaton. Uh, who's another one of our Republicans. Um, he's an incumbent, and, and I, I like Ray. Um, I think he's uh, he's not a, an extroverted person. He's an introverted person. He's not that outgoing personality everybody might want to see, but I think he's extremely intelligent. Um, I think that he adjudicates his cases, you know, um, as best as he can. Um, I, I, I heard probably last week that you know, he messed up on a case. Well, that's okay. He messed up on a case. You know, people mess up on cases, but he owned it. And, and so there's a difference when somebody messes up on a case and doesn't want to own it. Um, but I do like Ray Hedden. Um, Lisa's good. Uh, again, I think to, to kick back around to what Kareem said is that I think a lot of these races that were uncontested, um, because some of these races, if I'm not mistaken, um, the race that Lisa and and um, not Lisa, but Vaudre and the other guy is running for that's like an empty seat. So you have all these candidates running for, um, you know, running against each other and they're not challenging um, incumbent seats that really should be challenged. And so 
Um, I would have rather seen Lisa maybe challenge some some of these uh, other seats. And we'll be talking about some of those uh, seats because they're on the ballot. Um, those uncontested seats. So for me, um, it would be Ray. Kareem? Um, so uh, I would, so for me, um, I actually have had no real contact with Ray. And uh, so I have to go with what I know, who has been inaccessible, you know what I mean? Who I've seen, who, uh, who I've uh, shared space with um, on a number of occasions. So I'm definitely going to go with Forbes. And Keith? Yeah, this is another one where the, like, the unified endorsement process and GPAC um, didn't endorse the same way. Um, I, after talking with a lot of people, people were pretty impressed with um, Ray Hedden's uh, performance. Um, he's got a longer background with the, with the Republican Party. I think that he was in the administration um, for, uh, I forget who, Kasich maybe. Um, so he probably falls, falls more into the category of Republican that Mariah was describing, where they are in the party sort of residually, even though Trump is in there and not in the party just because they didn't want to have to deal with the muck that is the county Democratic Party. So I think that earlier we were talking about Wanda Jones, and that's probably the that probably describes her. She's a Republican because that's the way she can get on the ballot in the in the county without having to deal with the county Democrats. Um, Hedden, I don't think, is that type of Republican. But um, nonetheless, I'm going to be voting for him based largely on the weight of the unified endorsement process. And um, this was one was very close as well. A lot, of pe- a lot of people preferred Forbes, but not quite as many. And our next judge's race on the Court of Appeals is between Pamela Hawkins and Emanuela Groves. This is another one where everybody preferred yeah. Groves. Period. All right. <laughs> I like those races. Easy one. Yeah. So um, then, I, I, one thing about that is I, I I'll just throw a, in a little pitch. Um, the Black Spring Cleveland is uh, um, one of the groups that um, does some good activism in, in, and they recently had they put together a whole little like graphic and pamphlet touting the Groves decision where she said that the the um, transit police shouldn't be use, using shouldn't be armed uh, is, is my understanding so just a little just a little bit of context and then we're moving into uh, some of the bigger fish we have the justice of the Supreme Court uh, Judy French versus Jennifer Bruner Brunner Brunner. Um, again, everybody, everybody seemed to like Brunner better. Um, not everybody loved Brunner, but everybody liked her better. And then I think we get to probably uh, the most content, one of the most contentious races. I see Kareem winding <laughs> up for this one. <laughs> this is why Kareem's here. It's the other justice of the Supreme Court, which is O'Donnell versus Kennedy. Smackdown. So, uh, Kareem, you want to lead that one off? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, that's one of those races where, you know, I'm 
still, you know, say, you know, flat out that, you know, when it comes to uh, Judge uh, O'Donnell, O'Donnell was not only, you know, a judge that um, was just, I mean, he sided with an officer who took it upon himself to not find out or figure out if the passenger in a car was a hostage or not. And he took it upon himself to jump up on the hood of a car and fire and reload and fire and reload and fire and reload, you know, and fire. Like this is this cop was found to be innocent with regards to his part in the death of Timothy Russell and Melissa Anders, you know, in that case. And you William. know I'm sorry, Melissa Williams, thank you. And mm -hmm. um and 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 so it's like and then the judge went as far as to double down on it that, you know, he knows he made the decision, the right decision, and nobody's going to change his mind. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, a judge that, you know, just not only did he let them off and not only did he double down on it, but while he was running for office, um, he's one who, in spite of various um, uh, minority-led um, organizations asking to speak with him or to him to make a campaign stop to perhaps endorse him, to have him go through their endorsement process, he refused. So, and I'm talking about not just here in Cuyahoga County, I'm talking about around the state. And so I don't see how it is that anybody would want to vote for Judge O'Donnell when he showed that he did not have place any value on the lives of, you know, two unarmed black citizens who were shot up in that 137 shots incident. You know, he 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 valued an occupation more than he did people. And, you know, I can't understand for the life of me why anybody would want to vote for someone like that um, or someone who, like I said, who just doesn't value black lives as he's shown us and, you know, and doesn't value, you know, our voices and our opinion. He doesn't care. And it's and it's and that arrogance is coming from what we see happening here locally, um, you know, that arrogance of don't worry, I don't have to acknowledge the black people because the black people are going to vote Democratic anyway. And he's banking on that. And I really, really hope that uh, that that's not what happened and happens in his case, because it's going to definitely um, confirm to other candidates that they can do the same thing and they don't have to worry about it. Um, they just, as long as they're running Democrat, they don't have to treat black folks right. They don't have to acknowledge people of color. They don't have to uh, treat, you know, the, 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 the people of lower income bracket decent. Uh, they're going to vote Democratic anyway. 
and this is just the wrong way to go. And I just, I hope folks don't vote for him and they just send a message and I'm going to leave that there. So Keith, what, where are you coming down on this one? Um, I, I decided to abstain. Um, the, so the, um, the race in 2016 where O'Donnell ran for Supreme Court, he lost by less than a point. And everybody understood, you know, Cleveland.com Cleveland said this was because he didn't have support among voters in Cleveland. So there's no doubt about why that was. It was because of this Breloat case. And if there is any, any doubt about whether... Um, the black community and the activist community was going to forgive him for that. Um, I, I, it, that was, that question was settled in 2016. And so it's a major slap in the face. I think that the democratic party decided to, um, nominate this guy again. Obviously he had to go through, a, I, I think he had to go, yeah, he had to go through a primary, but like they, they didn't put up anybody else against him in the primary. So that, I mean, that's a major insult. And I said earlier that these races are all about harm reduction. I think that the real action, if we're fighting for justice, has to do with organizing, showing solidarity among activists. Um, and so if, if the question is, hey, as angry as you may be, as we may be, about O'Donnell, could it be that the Republican candidate is even worse. Now, there's a lot of leftist um, lawyers who were telling me that that is the case and that we should definitely not vote for Kennedy. Um, but I, I think that's a secondary question. I think that the, the primary question is, can the left, can the black activists and the leftists um, come together and say, hey, we are, we are a powerful force at the ballot box, not just at the ballot box, but everywhere. Um, and there was no, there was no, there's no ambiguity about what, what the black activists in, in this county wanted to do. Um, and that was absolutely don't vote for O'Donnell. Uh, for the most part, people said abstain. Some people said vote Kennedy. Um, so to vote for O'Donnell, because you think that the Supreme Court would be better, would be to sacrifice um, left unity in the county. Um, and I just don't, I don't think that it's even close, um, especially when you consider, I don't really think O'Donnell is better for all the reasons Kareem just said. So um, I decided to abstain. I was, I, my original, my first draft had, had Kennedy. Um, then I got some pushback from, the, from a lot of, um, progressives. Um, and also when I reached out to more black activists, they were all abstaining. Um, so I decided to switch it to abstain instead of voting for Kennedy. And Mariah. Um, okay. So all the reasons of obviously that, um, Kareem stating, you know, O'Donnell, um, he made a decision based on what was presented to him from the prosecutor's office. And so, um, I think the prosecutor failed and I think he should have said to the prosecutor's office, where are the other 12 people on this case? Because there were 13 officers that night. It wasn't just Brelo. Um, and if you and Kareem and I 
had done the same thing and we had started shooting at somebody, all four of us would have been indicted. And so I think that, you know, Donald uh, was part of a bigger um, picture to allow Brelo to walk. Um, he uh, he started his, his analysis in the middle of the events, which, you know, gave the outcome that he gave. Uh, he said that, you know, Timothy and Melissa had created all types of chaos that night. But when you look at the early events, they did not create the chaos. They became victims of the chaos from the Cleveland Police Department and the other um, departments that chased them. And so um, to say it in legal language, you know, a reasonable mind cannot come to the same conclusion that O'Donnell came to. And so I would never trust him on the Supreme Court. So, um, of course, that's a big, a big no for Mariah when it comes to him. Um, I've had multiple conversations with Sharon Kennedy. Um, we've had lunch together. We've talked. I've posed, you know, the Mariah questions to her to ask her, you know, certain things. Um, I've even educated <laughs> Justice Kennedy on um, the cease function issue that she was unaware of, as most people who are sitting on our, our bench. And she she took it seriously. She wanted to know more about it. Um, she was unaware of. Uh, like most of our judicial, that the rules changed in 2007. And she was a former, she's a former police officer. So she was unaware that the rules had changed, that she had ceased uh, being um, in law enforcement. So um, she was very open. She was very, you know, kind um, when she talked to me and she, she had these conversations. We did a lot of Zoom meetings um, with her and grilled her on a lot of, different areas and where she stood. And um, just from my conversations with her, um, I liked her. I mean, I, I liked her as a person. I liked her. Um, I liked her responses when she was asked some really tough questions of, about, you know, issues of, of law. So um, is she worse? I don't know. I don't know if she's worse. I don't think she could be worse. I don't think anybody could be worse than O'Donnell. Um, I think that he's somebody that, you know, we just, simply cannot um, uh, reward bad behavior by allowing him to become a justice on the Ohio Supreme Court, uh, even though we know that, you know, the Democrats want to get the Supreme Court hold back. Um, I just don't think, you know, I think at the time that it was supposed to be Russo who had put the tape on the black man's mouth and it was supposed to be O'Donnell. So Russo took a real hit because of putting the tape on his mouth. Um, so, you know, that's when he bowed out of the race. And that's how we ended up with O'Donnell. But again, mm -hmm. that's back to the party making decisions for, you know, two white males who have obviously done things that are absolutely insulting to the black community and should be insulting to the legal community as well. Um, and, and, you know, endorsing them uh, for whatever their reasons are. Um, it's just simply not acceptable. So, of course, it's a no for me when it comes to O'Donnell. Um, I did like Sharon Kennedy because I have had those conversations with her. I've had multiple conversations with her. Uh, she answered questions straightforward. I liked her. Um, back to Kareem, it's that accessibility. Um, I had accessibility to her. And so she was not afraid to respond to the tough Mariah questions that I posed to um, any candidate for office. So, for me, it was Sharon Kennedy.
We can move on to, yeah, the next one on my list was Marsha Fudge, who um, I've seen a lot of uh, some ambivalent, or like, not ambivalence, but complicated uh, feelings about Marsha here and there. Some people um, are like, yeah, nah, not really. And some people are all about her. Um, I've been a pretty harsh critic because... Um not so much in the past two years, but before that, she was probably the most energetic op opponent of progressive um, efforts in the county. Um, I, I'm thinking especially about the um, the Q deal, um, which um, she was instrumental in upholding. So there's, I don't know if we want to get into it, but there was a petition to undo the Q deal so the Q deal was when the city, or maybe it was the county, was going to give $88 million to the, um, the Q, the, um, the stadium, uh, the uh, arena for the, for the Cavs. And uh, Progressive said, no, it's always a bad deal to give millions of dollars to, to a billion to help you know, the infrastructure that billionaires are going to profit from. And... Um, and so we, we had a petition to, uh, um, to cancel that. And then there's a whole like shaming campaign led by Marsha Fudge and a couple others to shame the GCC, especially, and CCPC to a lesser extent. And so GCC pulled the petition. Um, and, uh, and then Marsha Fudge, you know, all of a sudden was friendly with GCC again. So uh, anyway, I have a bit of a grudge about that. <laughs> uh, and there's a few other things, but I, I don't know how much time we want to spend on that. Hey, guys, I just got an emergency text message, so I'm going to have to bow out. Oh. Um, I want to throw this out there about Marsha, but Marsha was also the driving force behind the term limit uh, petitions and the, uh, not term limit, I'm sorry, the downsizing city council. Uh, petitions that had gotten passed. She was the driving force that um, that was with the ministers that intimidated the the, uh, the the committee that circulated those petitions. So it's a big no for me. I abstain from the race because also um, Laverne Gore, who is running in her place, I know her, and I'm going to not, you know, Bambi's mama said, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. So I'm not saying anything at all, except I'm abstaining. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to go. I got to take this other call. Um, you know, I think we've hit everybody that's that's on this. Um, and, and, and thank you so much, Brian, for having me again. And I will talk to you guys. Thanks real so much, time. Mariah. I appreciate all your insights and your hard work. You have a good night. Thank you. Talk to you guys later. Good night. Hey. So um, what as far as it goes with that race, you know, I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to look at or think, um, remind folks of uh, of a little history lesson, one that originally was uh, given to me by the beloved uh, local historian, uh, Dick Peary. And, you know, and he was one who always reminded us uh, about that district and, and helped us to understand the district was one that was created um, to, to ensure that um, that 
good night, good night baby. The um that that was um a congressional district that was make sure that black people were represented. That you know we did have some representation in there, and so you know when it comes to that, you know it's like this: like her or not, bruh. I am not going to vote for anybody but her because the simple fact is, is like there are two things that I'm looking at when I look at that particular race. And one is that if we risk someone new coming in and we could say Laverne could be, you know, pretty good. I've met Laverne dogs and so forth. Um, but she would be new. And because she's new, she will be easy to unseat in just one turn. I'm looking at Marsha Fudge from a strategic standpoint. So I'm looking at the accessibility aspect. I'm looking at it from the aspect of we've got somebody who's more than a one-term incumbent. So it's going to be harder to unseat. So that ensures that we will continue to have our representation. I think that that's critical. That's way, that's far more important to me than a whole lot of other things. So from that standpoint, and then the other thing is this right here. Um, Marsha Fudge has been in the game long enough. She's been doing this long enough and, and uh, on the various committees that she is, um, she was poised to be in a great spot had uh, Hillary Clinton won that last time and it would have been great having someone from our area maybe hold a cabinet position, hold some kind of high place. Um, I think it would have been great for us. Um, I'm going to continue to kind of to support that frame of thinking in her regards uh, where um, at the very, like if, if, if Biden does win, um, I could, you know, see her heading up a committee. You know what I mean? I could, I can, I can really see that, and those things always kind of mean something good for us. We understand how politics works, whether we agree with it or not. And so, you know, that's kind of where I am on that. I just, I think that, you know, for, and I get it where some of those folks question certain stances that, you know, she's taken, and you know, if you know the demographic that she's working with, the percentage of the demographics that she's working with, with that district, you know, it's, it's, she's, she's holding it together and she's, and it's taking all her might to be able to hold that together. And so, and when you understand that, like, you know, I'm not willing to risk that. I just hope folks just shut up and just go ahead and just support her because, um, you know, somebody coming in there that's that they, they'll just anybody else coming in there could very well be a one and done. And then what you got going in there after them is going to be just so detrimental to us. And so that's my biggest fear. Yeah. So, of course, for me, definitely Marsha Foot. And so this. Uh, so, oh, Keith, go ahead. I was just going to I was just going to say, well, two things. One is it's true that she's she is accessible. And um, she's shown herself to be movable as well. She's had, she has town halls. And at a recent at a town hall last year, I was part of a Green New Deal coalition. And she actually eventually came around and said, okay, I'm going to support the Green New 
deal. Now, she was yep. the only Ohio con- congressperson, including Sherrod Brown, to this day, who supports the Green New Deal. Um, and so I decided it doesn't matter anyway. She's going to win by 80 points. But I decided I was going to vote for her uh, this year um, just because I felt some goodwill towards her over that. But on the other hand, about I don't know if we want to get into this again, but um, I think that it's in it's exactly in these ra- in these districts where Democrats are just going to crush the Republican, where it makes some sense to to try to run somebody a little bit more progressive. Now, again, I, I, on the other hand, Fudge is just such a strong candidate. She's so popular and she's active. So, like, there's no, there's not. It's, it would it would be too difficult to to unseat her, but it is these districts that have been designed specifically to ensure a Democrat will win. That I think it makes the most sense to try to to um, to challenge with somebody more progressive. And we we've seen that when you do that, even if you lose, it gets people to do things like in, endorse the Green New Deal and things like that. Yeah, I wanted to ask um, what what constitutes effective badgering. Oh, just because at the end she she did what. Well, we I wanted. mean, what what were you specifically doing as far oh. as you showing up at town halls, uh, lobbying? Yeah, her? so so my role was um, we organized um, the CCPC along with a couple other. We actually got a large coalition of groups. Um, ran some forums just discussing what would the Green New Deal mean for our district um and how would we how could we like have shovel ready type projects in, in in place in case like the green new deal did happen what would that look like so we did that and then we brought people to to the congressional office and then i actually did not go to the town hall meeting but it was at the town hall meeting where um where at least several maybe maybe dozens i don't really know people got up and asked her to endorse it and she she finally did um and so it was very reluctant but she she did it and um i just want to say this as we're coming up you know toward the end of this is just that you know the way that the system works right now until the changes that many of us really want to happen in it you know people like myself who do not fully support the way things are, are forced to participate um, in this process in order to do damage control. And that's kind of where I'm at. And so I just kind of, you know, don't want folks to just think I am this crap. I'm not this all in capitalist. You know, I am somebody who is, you know, all about, you know, you know, power, uh, power for the people, power that, you know, f- uh, powering, um, empowering the disenfranchised. Um, many of my ideals are socialists, you know, uh, in concept. And uh, many of my ideas and beliefs are abolitionists. Um, I believe that we should get there incrementally. I believe that we should be able to not just wipe out things, but also to provide alternatives, you know, but I just have to put that out there just because, you know, I don't ever want me participating in something like this 
or just the three of us or the four of us participating in something like this to just make us think that we just back this machine because from my conversations with everyone here i know none of us here are just you know we're, we're not just a hundred percent we're not all in on what the hell's going on you know what i mean not nationally not in this country and not even worldwide so you know i just think that it's important for us to kind of put that disclaimer out there because i think we're all about mm -hmm. mitigating the damages we're all about you know, doing some damage control. And so, yeah, some are worse than others. And, uh, you know, and then um, that we, and, and, and I'm just hoping that, uh, and I'll, sh I'll shut up after I say this, that I hope that uh, after the election, regardless of the outcome, that folks can uh, get together um, and actually force some changes here locally within uh, the party, with. And I'm talking about the Democrats. Yeah, party. and that's that's where we're closing out is is the, the the big election that no one shuts up about. And the my hope, I was just talking with a friend today, is that we won't see the same sort of uh, lullaby effect happen with Biden that seemed to happen with a lot of people in Obama coming after who was you know at the time the worst president. Uh, we'd ever had George W. Bush and with o Obama's campaign rhetoric and and what he represented and, and everyone saw like, oh, we really changed things. We really made a difference. And a lot of people thought, OK, good. We did our, our work. We're, you know, and it was frustrating to, you know, see then when you start criticizing o Obama for things that he was continuing from Bush that disturbed me. And there was a lot of excuse making and a lot of like, well, you know, we can't be helping the Republicans. We need to, you know, be boosters. And I'm hoping that a lot less people are going into the Biden presidency uh, or will come out of, uh, you know, the uh, Biden winning the election thinking, okay, we, we did it now that's fixed things. And, um, and, and that I think I think we all agree is like the work is, it's going to be under a Biden presidency is how to how to push him, how to effectively badger him into changing what a lot of his uh, policy positions would be just based on inertia or looking at his history. Uh, you know, I think that there were quite a few people who were radicalized by the Bush Obama dynamic where um Speaking for myself, I, I, I was disgusted with Bush like you were, and I was ready for Obama to do something different. And then the moment he said, we're looking forwards, not backwards, I was radicalized. And I think that there are other people as well. Um, but Obama was so good. He was just so smooth. Biden doesn't have that. And also Biden is coming off of something that has really scarred many, many more people than Bush. Like most people were able to ignore Bush, most people in America. That's not happening um, with Trump. Like liberals, every liberal I know is desperate. Like they can't think about anything other than Trump every day. That wasn't quite the same dynamic with Bush. So I think that when Biden, if, and I'm assuming this is, will be the case, when Biden fails to hold Trump accountable in the same way that Obama did with Bush, 
um, it's going to cause a lot more radicalization. I, you know, I, I haven't even let myself think about yeah. that fear, which is that the Democrats might do that shit again. Because to me, there's a perfect through line for the fact that they didn't prosecute Bush and Cheney. And, and this won't just be Biden, but I mean, he can be the signal head that says this is our posture. But... Um, there's so many things that were, were just allowed to become bipartisan consensus that were allowed to become normalized because they weren't called out and prosecuted as wrong for what the Bush administration did. And, and yeah, you know, Obama did that. And that's going to be tenfold disastrous if we do that again with everything Trump has done. And, 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 you know, the climate change is just looming so much Honestly, more. Honestly, sometimes climate change ago. makes me optimistic about ago. how screwed up all of our problems are. Because I'm like, well, that's coming. That train's just going to run through you all at some point. You can't ignore it. Yeah, we can't ignore um, that anymore. Cream, you got something? Well, no, I was just going to say, you know, I mean, I'm not turning cartwheels with regards, you know, to Biden. Not at all. But if you do want to talk about the climate change aspect, that is one thing that he has done is he has come up with a good plan, you know, seemingly to me. And and I'm not as, you know, immersed in as many, but, you know, to 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 be free of carbon emissions by 2050 is pretty ambitious. But at the same time, there are a lot of folks that say it's doable. Oh, and uh you know, and to um, his delivery of it is much better than some folks. I mean, you know, the way he's trying to sell it, he's actually taking a page out of Obama's book, though, honestly, when he's explaining like, hey, we're not getting rid of jobs. We're creating jobs and we're creating jobs. And this is the course that we're going to go with creating it. So folks are just are going to have to change a little bit. You know what I mean? We're going to have to retool some people. We're going to have to retool some some manufacturing. And so, you know, I like that because that's addressing the folks that felt or feel have been feeling that they're being left behind. Nobody's talking to them. You know, a lot of those folks like, you know, me formerly being in, you know, um, trade union. I was, you know, working with and friends with, you know, those folks who on one hand were like Democrat, Democrat, Democrat. But those were the same folks that were like, if you get out of my face, get away from my house when we were going to the houses of folks that we knew were Democrats and we knew they were retired union people and they had every intention of voting Republican. But that was, they didn't want to hear it when you came to the house, but out there and amongst their union brothers, they were, you know, pro dim. And a lot of those, and a, more and more folks who um, were part of those factories and were part of the trades, um, they were the folks that a lot of times felt that they weren't being addressed. And as a result, they're the folks that, you know, felt they were being left behind. And so, you know, they felt that somebody like a Donald Trump either spoke to them or somebody like Donald Trump is just... 